What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is the Wells Cast with Wells Adams, an iHeartRadio podcast. Welcome to the Wells Cast. So excited for today's episode. This is one that actually when we created the show, this was the guy that I thought about doing, that sounded weird, first. The show is about where people came from and my mentor, my boss, my good friend, Chris Harrison has agreed to come on the Wells cast and tell us how the hell he became the host of one of the most iconic television shows in ours or any other generation. So coming up in just a couple of minutes, the man, the myth, the legend, the man that everyone every Monday night tunes in to watch will be on the show. Stick around. This is one you are not going to want to miss. Mother's Day is coming, and mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito, and I'm here to introduce you to my character, Gray Parrish, from my new series, Parrish. Yeah, I can drive. My character was a getaway driver. Yeah! I'm retired from life, you know that. His business is failing, his house is going up for sale. He is the everyman. Tell me about this driver job. We got a lot of action in this show. We have moments of real danger, and we want to feel as if anything could happen. Gray is invited to drive for this man. He's invited to make money, and he quickly realizes this is not the right thing to do. I did what you told me to. And he's in a world over his head. Now, let's go! He will try to do what's right and seek justice. 
Irish, all new Sundays at 9 on AMC and stream on AMC+. So last episode, we had Paige Renee on the show, who is a phenomenal golfer. We did the show live from the Pell Beach program, which is where we are still. But this is coming out a, a couple weeks later because guess what? Uh, Hollywood, guys. Anyways, so excited to have on the podcast one of my good friends and actually just an overall just badass dude. Chris Harrison is on the Wellscast. How are you, buddy? Good to see you. I have done a ton of interviews, ton yeah. of podcasts. Mm-hmm. Us. I, I look forward to have been anxiously awaiting this. Have and I'm you? a little fearful. Why? I don't know. An interview with you is it's going to be, you know, I always say one of the hardest things to do is interview a friend. Yeah. I don't like it when I'm on the red carpet. I don't know if you've run into anybody on the red carpet that you've been interviewing. Oh, yeah. And if you know somebody, it's really hard to interview a friend because most of the stuff you want to talk about is a little bit superficial because you want it for a broad audience. It's really hard to interview people, you know, because you just you dive into these personal jokes and these things that you know nobody else is going to know so it's yeah. really it's hard um and then and you also want to do right by your friends yeah and, and give them a good interview so i i feel pressure it was kind of like you know I'm, I, lauren zima uh-huh. who i'm dating i was on entertainment tonight with her mm-hmm. and i was co-hosting i was terrified Really? I've been doing this for 35 years. I was scared to death because I just I wanted to perform for her. I wanted it to be great for her. Yeah. I wanted her to feel great about it. And, you know, and then I knew like I wouldn't get any later if it was bad. <laughs> no, but it was those are the Did times. Did you get any later? No, I crushed it that day. Yeah. OK, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so I think that like to start this interview off, I got to I got to talk about like my first impressions of you. And my first encounters with you. When was that? So it was in 2015 on JoJo season. And I was very much enamored with like the lore of Chris Harrison, which is a thing, like whether you want to believe it or not. It is. It's a thing. Okay. And I remember, I think we were in Uruguay. And it's so funny because it was long before I was ever the bartender. And I was making a drink outside of a rose ceremony and I was making a drink for like a couple people. Cause back then that's how we did it. Of course yeah, there we, were, there was less. Yeah. We rules actually have people that do that now and we yeah. have rules and regulations, but back then, yeah, it was a free for all. But f- for the most part, like if you're on the bachelorette or the bachelor, you, you step in every once in a while and say hello to everybody. Right. And you know, you show face, you know, you, you, you shake babies and you kiss I, hands. But I purposefully don't get too connected ever. You know, I try not to get too close. And at the time I w- was a little offended by it yeah. because I was like, I'm doing this show and I want to meet this guy. I've watched this show for a long time and I kind of idolized you a little bit. Like I, I was very enamored with, with what you were able to do with your career. And I wanted to like pick your brain and I really had never gotten to talk to you. And then all of a sudden, I was making drinks for, I think, I think Derek and Jordan. They asked for like an old-fashioned, and I was making the drink. And then you came up, and you said, what do you make? And I said, I'm making drinks. And I was like, this is my opportunity. And I started making – you were like, yeah, make me one. And so I started making you one. And then you got pulled away by production, and I was like, man, that was my opportunity to like hang out with Chris Harrison. And it's so funny, like now you – Fast forward the reels of which I've made you now hundreds of drinks in paradise. <laughs> and you can't you know? get rid of me. <laughs> now I just hang around. Well, you can't get rid of me, unfortunately. <laughs> but I remember so badly just wanting to like pick your brain, like figure out how the hell you got to this place. Mm-hmm. Because like whether you want to believe it or not, uh, the truth of the matter is, is that the biggest reality television show in the world is the show of which you are the counterpoint the the lynch wheel you right. are the main piece of this show and i've always been so fascinated with how the hell did you get to this thing and so over the years that we've become friends i've learned your story mm-hmm. you've told me it but i want everyone else to hear it because it's so interesting because like where you came from and where you are now are completely yeah, polar opposites. Completely different worlds. So you grew up in Texas, correct? Dallas. Born and raised in Dallas. And you were a broadcast kid? No. 
Not at all. Not so at all. Nobody in my family was ever. I mean, my parents didn't graduate from college. My my brother was the first one in our family to graduate from college. Um, Mom ended up in real estate. Has done incredibly well in Dallas. And my dad had different jobs throughout the years. Whether it was uh, clothing and got into a little real estate has done a little bit of everything. Um, that's it. I, I don't have anybody in my life in my world that I even remotely knew that was in broadcasting or Hollywood or anything. I had never, I didn't even travel. We didn't have any money growing up. So we didn't go outside the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. I was like 14 before I went on an airplane and my parents thought, well, this is crazy. He should probably go on an airplane to see what it's like. And they flew me to Houston and back. Um, that was it. And when we, we took trips, we would get in a car and drive down to, you know, Padre or Corpus Christi in Texas. And that was, that was it. I had never been anywhere. I hadn't been to California until I went for a job audition in 99. Um, and I was 28 years old. So I, there was nothing that led me to this business. It was getting to college and then something that happened in college that led me to this. So you go to college, where do you go to school? Oklahoma city university. Okay. Harvard of the Midwest. A lot of Mm -hmm. people know about it. Yep. A no, lot of people talking about yep. OCU. Um, it's a big no. A it's a big liberal arts, yeah, <laughs> big liberal arts school, and it actually is a great school. And I went to play soccer, and at that point, that's where my level of interest was. I was a huge soccer player. It was my goal in life to play soccer and to meet girls, and that was my goal of going to college. And I very average grades, and that was it. And once I got to school, started playing soccer. My I think sophomore year, I met this guy Chris Weish. He was the sports information director. We keep in touch to this day. And he came up to me and said, "Hey, I'm starting a program, and I we're going to start doing play by play for the college basketball team at OCU. We had a great basketball team. We're NAI." And I said, "I've never done this before. I don't even know what that means." And he's like, "If I taught you." would you do this? I, he's like, I think you'd be really great. You just have that thing about you. I think you'd be good. And I said, sure. And we would sneak into the mass comm department at night and we would just start doing this. We'd put in, there's this thing called VHS tapes. We'd put VHS tapes in of old <laughs> basketball games. We turn down the sound and start doing play by play. And I would watch old Bobby Knight basketball videos and listen to the vernacular. I mean, I knew hoops and I played hoops, but it's different calling it. But that's how it started. We would sneak in and all night we would just call games and watch TV until I was ready to do it. And when I did it, all of a sudden, I don't do drugs. I've never really done drugs. It was my drug. I was high as a kite. I'm like, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. And it was the first time professionally I had purpose of what I want to do. So you were sitting courtside calling a game. Were you doing color? I was the play-by-play guy. Okay. And then there was a guy next to me doing uh, color commentary who was a professional. And they had different guys. And we were on uh, Cox Cable, like deep cable yep. back then. And I was doing just on local cable. And that's how it started. And I, was, I loved it. I thought it was the greatest thing. I look forward to it every day. And I just knew this is, my, this is my life. So you graduate from school and you're like, this is my life. What's... Step number two. Well, step number two happened in school. And I, you know, there's always people when you're a self-made person, which I would like to think I am, you never get there alone. Nobody gets to where they are alone. There's always people along the way. And if you pay attention and open your eyes, there's always going to be people. And hopefully I am that for a lot of people now that will give you a leg up. They see brightness, skill, you know, whatever talent in you, and they want to help you. Um, there was a guy named Bill Teagans, who was my mentor, became one of my best friends before he passed away. He, I met him. I was going to, uh, I was poor as dirt. Um, I was the guy that literally would find, I was like, okay, I have $23 in my account. Okay. I'm going to get $7 out for a pizza and a beer. Um, and so I just had no money. So I would work part time for the sports information department. So I went and did this sports auction and they paid me like $20. Plus I got to eat for free, which was amazing. And the, my soccer coach. Brian Harvey grabbed me and said, I want you to meet this guy, it's Bill Teagans. He's the sports director at the CBS affiliate. You got to meet him. He's coming to our auction. And he went and introduced me. And Bill and I, I have a great dad, but he just became like instantly a father figure to me. And just, and we talked for an hour and he said, come to the station tomorrow. I told him I wanted to intern. He said, come to the station. And I showed up. He's like, I can't believe you showed up. I'm like, of course. And, and from that moment on, I was attached to his hip and I couldn't get enough of him. He, I thought he was brilliant, funny. He was just, the, I, I must've been the most annoying kid in the world because I just couldn't be near him enough. He, I thought he was just brilliant. He was great at what he did. He was sportscaster of the year and all that. Um, there was a plane crash 
where the Oklahoma State basketball team went down um, 2001, 2002, and, and or 2001 is when it was, and he was he was on that plane. And, um, he, that's, I lost him. And, uh, but he, it was, he, he saw me go to Los Angeles and he just knew, he knew I was destined to do other things than, than take his job or to be in Oklahoma city. And he was, he was right there. I I think of him, we have the same birthday, which is really weird. Weird. July 26. Yeah. Yeah, Really weird. But, um, but he was the one that I met in college and he gave me my first three jobs. I interned for him. And then I, he gave me my first job out of college, which I didn't deserve. Then he gave me my second job as a, as a full-time reporter that I didn't deserve either. Um, and then moved up to the ranks. All right, let's go through those jobs. The first one, um, you didn't deserve. I was the you weekend a... morning. Okay. Six to eight in the morning. Yeah. On Saturday morning, mm-hmm. I made $50 or $100. I forget which one. 50 or $100 a weekend. Um, and that was it. And I did four sports casts from six to eight in the morning. I was, again, not wealthy, so I coached two soccer teams. I coached a high school soccer team, and I coached a club soccer team. And then on Friday nights, he would pay me $50 to come in and work the high school. High school football is huge in Oklahoma. So I would go in, and I would work the high school football show, which was editing tape. And back then, we had to call. We would call, like, the 7-Eleven or the police department, the fire department, ask them the score of Godibo versus Miami, Oklahoma. And I would write down all the scores and put it on the air. And then I would get done. I would log the tapes, put everything away, clean up the office. I'd get done about 11, 11.30, and then everybody would leave. And then I started writing, editing, and producing all my shows, which were 6 to 8 in the morning. So I would write and produce and edit all night long by myself till like 2 or 3 in the morning. I would go crawl into the corner of my office, sleep for an hour or two, get up, do my own makeup, and then do four sports casts. And I thought I was the the luckiest son of a bitch in the world. Yeah. I was happy as a clam, and that was it. And that's I did that for a year until I got promoted. I and then, and there was a job opening to be the number three guy. Yeah. And again, I wasn't ready, but something happened. There was this great again. All these people were looking out for me. The Dallas Cowboys fired Jimmy Johnson, mm-hmm. and they were hiring Barry Switzer. And Barry Switzer is a famous Oklahoman. Yeah. Coach at Oklahoma, and at the last minute. I knew I have forgotten more about the Dallas Cowboys than most people know. It was my and my boss knew that. He said, "Get on this, get in the car, go with these guys. You're going to help them produce because we're doing live shots. We're all over this story. It's a big deal in Oklahoma City, and we you know, there's a thing called the live truck. We were hot rolling, tr- hot rolling tapes. So you'd put tapes in, and they would hot roll it, and, and the truck went down. Everything went to hell. Long story short, the number two guy goes." joining me now and I, I wore a suit and tie all the time. I was ready to go. He goes, Chris Harrison's going to join us. And I was freaking out. I'm like, what do I do? He said, just tell me what you know. And I did a live shot. Yeah. And it was spur of the moment, wasn't prepared for it. And I crushed it. And my boss and the news director saw it and said, you're our guy. And I got my next job. You're 21. Yeah. I was like 23, 23 yeah. at the time. Okay. Barely shaving. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I mean, so out of my depth. I, by the way, I was married at the time. Really? Yeah. I was already married. I got married when I was 23. I married my high school sweetheart, met her my sophomore year of school. Um, and so I married, had a job. I mean, like I was, you know, when I see people on the show now, they're like, oh, I'm 25. I live with my parents. I'm like, Jesus, I was married and like had, I was on my third job by then. Yeah. Um, but I was, you know, I, I had to live. Like I, there was no, like, what do they call that? The year abroad? What, 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 what is that a thing where you go like for a year, like a, yeah, but it, no, it's like after college, but before you want to grow up, oh, it's, um, gap year. Gap yes. Year, that's it. Yeah. I didn't have a gap year. Yeah. Yeah. My gap year was good. Get to work. I find that so funny. Cause I did, the, I did a very similar thing. I remember I waited tables and then I would moonlight the radio station. I would do overnights and board up for the big show on Sundays, and then I would do Saturday morning broadcasts. And I thought, at 22-year-old Wells, I thought, I got the f-ing coolest job in the world, man. I, I'm doing a radio show, and I've, I've got no money, uh, but, like, I'm living my dream. And I think it's so funny. Like, obviously, we have very different backgrounds but it's a similar thing of just like hustle 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 make it work okay so grind so you get your i guess that's your first big break that was my first i mean the first break was that was that one job but getting a getting a a big full-time legit 
job as a reporter in Oklahoma City, top 50 market. Yeah. And I think it might have been 35 at the time. And being so young, it was like the perfect, you know, again, things just fall into place because like Dallas would have been too big. It was a place where I could cut my teeth. Yeah. But I still had to be good. I, I still had to have this certain level of professionalism. And I'll never forget um, my boss, my mentor goes, you got the job. He told me before. Mm-hmm. He's like, but we got to go in and meet the, the news director. And uh, so I'm, I'm just my head spinning. I can't believe this is happening in my life. And I'm halfway to the office to meet with this woman, our news director. And I stopped my boss. I go, Bill, I go, uh, what, do, what, what do I do? Like, what do I ask for? And he'd stop me. He looked at me and he's like, when you go in there, she's going to offer you the job. You smile, you say, thank you. Mm -hmm. And you get out of that office as fast (laughs) as you can. You don't ask for an effing thing. Yeah. He was like, if it's completely embarrassing and egregious, I'll say something. You don't speak, say as few words as possible and get out of that office. He's like, you have no idea how lucky you are. How many people he's like, cause I saw it was really weird. So we shared an office. Obviously we had this really big office and it was a big job hundreds of audition tapes were sent in and I would watch him watching these tapes every night. And I knew I wasn't quite ready for this break yet, but I was watching these people and it was kind of disheartening of like, this is going to be me. This is my lot in life of I'm going to be one of these thousands of tapes on his desk. And he's like, whatever, whatever. And when I got that job, I was like, holy cow, I just jumped to the front of the line. Yeah. And I went in there, they offered me $22,500 a year. Yeah. I hit the mother effing lottery. Yeah. I, I went home and I cried. I went home. I was married. I told my wife and I started bawling because it was my dream. Yeah. I, my dream had come true. That's all. I, I, I never thought I'd make that much money in my life. I had never seen that much money in my life. Yeah. $22,000 was unbelievable. What year is this? 97? This would have been 93, 94. Okay. No, this is early. I'm 94. Yeah, ninety three, ninety four. It's so funny, man. Like, so I was doing afternoon drive on my radio show, and we had fired our morning show host. And so then you, what, you, like in radio, I don't know how it works in TV, but like in radio, you have to post the job that's available so everyone right gets a shot. And I was my program director's like right hand guy, so he was like, "You got to listen to all these tapes." And tell me who you think is the best. Yeah. So I listened to like 500 people's reels. But then also mine was in the mix too. Because I was like, I want the morning show. Like, this guy's good. Yeah. I like this guy. I, so, but, but I, I, I didn't listen to mine. Well, I did, right. but I edited. But um, I remember that. Like, it's very similar. Like, I knew all the people that had like worked on trying to get that gig. And then be, getting it was a big deal. And I made... $30,000 in so 2009. Yeah. And I thought it was the most money I've ever seen <laughs> in my entire life. It's a great feeling. Yeah. And, and I lived in an economy apartment, no bigger than the room we're in right now. And that's it. And I loved And by the way, no happier now than I was then. I mean, I loved, I, I've always loved to grind. My parents, you know, again, because we had no money, my parents always worked and they worked hard. My uh, Everyone in my family had to work their asses off. And I knew what it took to put me through college. And so I was always yeah. grateful. And so even to this day, I mean, I have beyond more money than I ever dreamed I would. My kids are fine now. Like my parents are fine now. Like it's, it really is a, a life. The bachelor has been a life changing event. Yeah. Um, but I still grind. I still act like it could go away tomorrow and yeah. I'll be working real estate. I'll be a waiter. I don't give a shit. I'm going to work. I will grind. I don't care. I'm not too proud to do anything. And I've always had that attitude of even on the bachelor. Like I, I don't care, man. I just want to make the show good. And if you're not there to make the show better and move the needle, then get out of my way. And you're, you're not a part of my bubble. I'm a big collector of people. Mm -hmm. I believe in people. And I know you have that. I see that fire in you of just like, you're going to do what it takes to make it work. And that's a, it's, and it's such a lost art for these kids coming out of school or whatever. Like there's no grinders. It's hard to find these kids that'll grind and work yeah. their ass off and not worry about money and the title. And you know, like we're like, Hey, I'm from Syracuse. I went to school. They're like, great. Give me some coffee. I don't care. Yeah. Um, I like kids out of smaller schools. Well, there's a weird thing that happens with a lot of kids. And like, so uh, for everyone listening, 
I think this is a good lesson to learn. There's a weird thing with a lot of young kids in terms of entitlement. Very and I, so. I'm very confused by that because for me and, – and dude, we're broadcasting from Pell Beach, California. This is where I came from. This is the richest yeah. freaking place in the world, and this is where I came from. To ask my parents for money was the last thing I ever wanted to do. I would much rather go weigh tables and grind and whatever than to be like being a waiter is beneath me. That to me, what's wor- the only thing that's worse that like saying that waiting tables is beneath right. you. What are you talking about? Like I, I would literally live in a van with Dean. Yeah. Before who just hobbled in here? Mm-hmm. Uh, before. I would ask somebody for money. Yeah. I have a funny story. When I was younger, I was just married. Um, my wife, my then wife's dad was a full bird colonel in the Air Force. Think Ollie North. He looked just like Ollie North. Um, and he, when I was getting married, the first thing he said was, congratulations, love you. She's all yours. You're off, like, she's off the tit. And yeah. I'm like, you know what? Some bitch, I will never ask you for a dime. Yeah. Like I will never ask anybody for a dime. I don't care what I do. I will coach 20 soccer teams, which I did when I was younger. Even when I was working at channel nine in Oklahoma city, I was coaching a high school soccer team and playing semi-pro soccer as well at the time. But I was, I don't care. Like I will, I had to supplement my income because I was making nothing. Um, my then wife made a lot more money than I was. She was an accountant. She mm-hmm. was crushing it. Um, I think together we might've been making $50,000 together. Yeah. We were rich. Okay, so let's rewind the reels back to you get the big gig. $22,000 a year. Twenty-two five. Twenty-two. excuse me. <laughs> I'm sorry. So how long do you do that before the next step up happens? The next step up was like a couple of years, and it was really hard because there were three guys in the sports department. This guy, Rich Lenz, who moved off to New Orleans. I took his job. Yep. Bill Tegans, my mentor, and this guy, Ed Murray, who was the number two guy, the weekend guy. And a couple years later i was just kind of on the rise and things were going well and everybody you could just kind of tell and my boss is like you're you're a rear rocket ship dude and they pulled me in in the office again and the main boss the news director said we're replacing ed murray you're the number two guy and i was crushed ed murray had kids and i i I was like i can't take this job I, I'm, I'm not accepting this job. Yeah. And they said, it's done. You're doing this. And I said, I, and they said, don't worry. Ed is going to be doing our morning news and he's fine. And I went, I went in and I was emotional. I mean, I was, I really, I love these people so much. They did so much for me and they'd sacrifice. They've helped me so many times to take his job was the worst bittersweet thing I'd ever felt in my life. I'm an extremely loyal person excessively loyal and if i love you i will sit in front of a truck for you and so for this guy to lose his job and and even though he wasn't i walked in the office and i was almost in tears and the best thing is he looked at me put his hand on my shoulder he says it wasn't you i know for a fact it wasn't you you didn't ask for my job this is happening you're like my kid i'm proud of you and i was like I'm almost bawling now. I was like burst into tears. Yeah. And, uh, but that's, that was my next big break was being the weekend guy in Oklahoma city doing sports doing or sports. just sports, okay. sports and both, you know, I went through some crazy times in, in America because I was a sportscaster in 1995, April yeah. 19th, 1995. Um, which for those that don't know was the Murrow federal building bombing. Um, and so I was, you know, there at nine Oh two AM. I was asleep actually, because I had done the late sports cast the night before, um, and it was crazy. It was a crazy year because Oklahoma State, I'd just been to the Final Four, March Madness. I'd just been there. Then April 19th, the bombing happened. And it shook my building. I was in an apartment and it shook my building. And I thought a car had run into my building. I was like, what in the hell? Ran outside. It was a bluebird day. And I went and turned on television. And we, we had the first, we, we were the rare station that had a helicopter at our station. And this buddy of mine, Jesse Gary, Happened to be sitting next to the door. He's a reporter. And they're like, something, there was a gas leak downtown. Who wants to jump in the chopper? And the NBC and ABC affiliates didn't, their chopper was at the airport. So they had to drive the airport to get it. So our chopper was the one that went up and has the iconic shot where there was smoke, but then they pull around the building. And it's that famous shot where all of a sudden you see 
this building is just a shell. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it pulled around, I was like, that ain't no gas leak. That is, that's something. At the time, you just didn't know because your mind didn't go there then because there was mm-hmm. no such thing as terrorism and that didn't exist. And so um, we, didn't, we didn't go off the air for seven days. We didn't even take a commercial break for three days. It was wild. And I was young. I was 23. My mind was spinning, and, and I was thrown into that. And I started doing news. I went to the medical examiner news conferences, which was horrifying. Because unlike 9-11, where, I hate to say it, everything disintegrated and there was nothing left, our bombing in Oklahoma City, there was a lot left. It was grisly yeah. and horrifying, the things they were finding. And so I was there to like cover that stuff, and it was it was really weird. It like just shook me to the core and none of us wanted to leave. It was really weird. We stayed at the station and when we got breaks, we would go into the parking lot and we all just ordered food and would put a truck bed down and would drink beer and just, we couldn't go home. It was really weird. But again, as a young man coming up in this business, seeing the professionals do what they did was fascinating. I was there to watch Connie Chung get fired because she made such an egregious error on, on the, on the air when she came to Oklahoma city that she got run out of CBS wild times, Steve Croft, 60 minutes came in and it was just in, and again, it was like f- in a weird way, fantasy camp for me as a young journalist watching how it should be done. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, sports for the most part, but when tornadoes, I tornado chased, um, I would do everything. Okay. That's bonkers. It was wild. So, after that, mm-hmm. how long until you go to Los Angeles? So my goal in life was to be a sportscaster in, o- in Dallas, Texas, where I'm yeah. from, born and raised. And there's this guy, Dale Hansen, who's a legend there. I said, I want to be Dale Hansen. I want his job. I don't want to be the voice of the Dallas Cowboys. That's now my goal. And this guy, Mike Ducey, got hired to come into, into Dallas. And I befriended Mike because we were CBS affiliate partners and we would use their truck and their station from time to time because we covered the Dallas Cowboys a lot. Yeah. So I'd be in Dallas and I met Mike and Mike called me and says, look, I know you're good. I don't have the job you want, but I have the job you need. It's the number three job. It's going to be a step down, but don't worry because obviously you're going to move up quickly. And I said, I don't care. It's a door into Dallas. And literally bizarrely the same. I had an agent um, which is another funny story, but it's too long. I won't get into it, but somehow I ended up with an agent in, in LA at the time. And she, she called me that week. I was so ecstatic. And she said, there's a job opening in LA for a horse racing network. Yeah. They have a ton of money. It's Fox and TV guide. So huge funding. Mm-hmm. And they want you to come audition. Had you ever done horse racing before? No. <laughs> Remington park. There was a horse track in, in, in Oklahoma city. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I covered sports. I knew the Derby. I knew the, you know, the Preakness, Belmont, all that stuff, and the and the Breeders' Cup. But I didn't know horse racing. Yeah, I mean, I knew which one was the top and the bottom of the horse. That's it. Yeah. And so I went to L.A., and, I, and, I'd, and I'd never been to California. I saw the movie Colors. So I figured that's about what it was like. Mm-hmm. Assuming I was going to be shot some point between the airport and this audition. Yeah. Because, again, <laughs> it's just full of gangs, and, you, and there's drive. That's it. That, mm-hmm. I Literally, that was my impression of California was the movie Colors. So I get out, I do this audition, I crushed it. And back then again, pre 9/11, no screening or whatever. So Wait, I, hold on. Was the audition like 99 in 1999? No, but way. it was it like and now it's coming down the It was a think think more sports center. Okay. ESPN. So they wanted more like, you know, Scott Van Pelt, Dan Patrick, got it. host with a horse trainer expert, and then we would throw to the races. It was going to be interactive horse racing. You Got could it. wager on the races we were showing. We would set you up, handicap the races, and then throw it. And so I did this, and I got a job offer. Okay. And by the way, I drive so past LAX, for those of you that are listening and you're not knowing the ge- geography, there's a beach right behind LAX called Manhattan Beach. And I remembered flying in, seeing a beach. And I thought, yeah, I'm just going to drive over there. I have time to kill. Pull into the parking lot right there. The first one you get to at Manhattan Beach, it's sunset. And these people are pulling up in their Mercedes and their whatever. And they're jumping out and they're stripping down, putting on wetsuits, grabbing their boards, diving in the ocean. And again, you have to remember, I'm a kid from Texas. I'd never seen such things. And my mind was just on fire. I'm like, holy shit, this is Shangri-La. This is crazy. I remember I had a flip phone. I pulled out my flip phone and I called my wife. I'm like, 
this is nuts. People are surfing here. Yeah, people surf. This is <laughs> this is wild. And so I got the job offer, and it was a ton of money. Okay, six so figures. in right now you have a job offer in Dallas, in Dallas which dream. is your dream. my dream, the only thing I've dreamed of. And then you have this obscure Weird. horse racing thing. Yeah, in this city where people are putting on wetsuits and going surfing. Yeah. And so you have a decision to make. There was a song back then. I'm a big country fan. There's Heads Carolina, Tails California. And I remember sitting on my patio in Oklahoma City. I had a house by then. So I'm sitting on a patio and my wife is there and I had a Corona. I'll never forget. I mean, it's I was sitting in a green chair, Mm -hmm. had a Corona and that song came on and I was like, this is my life. Yeah. Heads Dallas, tails California. Yeah. What do we do? Please my, tell me you pulled out a coin. My dream. No, I was, it was it. my dream. And <laughs> I have to give credit to my wife, Gwen, at the time. And I don't know if I would have done it without her. And, and I do. To this day, I give her credit because she's like, you know what? Let's go. We can always go home. We can always come back and do this. Yeah. You're talented enough. You're fine. Let's just go. And honestly, we're probably going out there for six months. And it's going to fail anyway, and we'll come right back. It's no yeah. big deal. And I, you know, I've always had this. There's a there's a little thing on my desk at home. My mom gave it to me a long time ago. It's one of those cheesy things, and I'm not a big fan of cheesy things. Was what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? Yeah. And I live my life by that. What would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? And I've never felt like I could fail. And it's not to say I haven't. I failed many times over. I've struck out more than I've hit home runs. We all have, but I've always just felt. I cannot fail. And so I said to hell with it. And we just went and we went to California and it was crazy. Um, but one thing led to another once I got to California and, uh, and then, you know, obviously the bachelor came around, but there was things that happened when I got to California that were wild as well. Okay. So I want to hear all about now that you're in the city of angels and how you get to the bachelor franchise but first we got to take a quick commercial break and when we come back we're going to find out how the hell chris made millions of dollars (laughs) mom met a lot of your demands over the years this mother's day get her the bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand in just 30 seconds have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails all at the touch of a button Get $50 off on the Bartesian Cocktail Maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get Mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. Make Mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito, and I'm here to introduce you to my character, Gray Parrish, from my new series, Parrish. Yeah, I can drive. My character was a getaway driver. Yeah! I'm retired from life. You know that. His business is failing. His house is going up for sale. He is the everyman. Tell me about this driver job. We got a lot of action in this show. We have moments of real danger. And we want to feel as if anything could happen. Gray is invited to drive for this man. He's invited to make money, and he quickly realizes this is not the right thing to do. I did what you told me to. And he's in a world over his head. Now, let's go! He will try to do what's right and seek justice. Parish, all new Sundays at 9 on AMC and stream on AMC+. Plus. 
All right, back on the Wells cast. Uh, got good friend slash mentor slash just awesome dude, Chris Harrison, on the show. Before the break, we were talking about how you, you know, heads Carolina, tails California. You decide to go to California. You are out there doing this obscure horse racing thing. How long did you do that? I did it for years. In May of 99, so there was a huge tornado outbreak in Oklahoma City. It was the last thing I covered, the big F6 tornado. Even though it was only F5, they actually made a new category for this tornado. I was tornado chasing. I'm like, okay, that's enough. Moved to California. Did it. Living in this rental house in Encino, in the valley, in the San Fernando Valley. And the great thing about the horse racing network is it was successful. It was really doing well. And it was very limited time I needed. It was like two or three hours a day. That was it. And I was non-exclusive. So I could do other stuff. So I came to California in May of 99 and I started auditioning like crazy. And I had this agent with Ken Linder and associates, this young agent, Karen Wang Lavelle is Karen Wang at the time. And she started through me. And I think I was fresh meat. AO is fresh meat, fresh face, fresh voice. And I was so naive. I mean, to say I was a fish out of water, I've never been to California, much less there's a world called Hollywood. Yeah. And so I was so naive. I'd go to auditions for TV, movies, and I started booking all these jobs. I was in a movie called Bounce with Ben Affleck and Gwyneth Paltrow. Cool. I did a movie with uh, Robert De Niro and Eddie Murphy. Heard of them. Called Showtime. Yeah. Um, I did a ton of TV alias. I did this great scene with Bradley Cooper. I think you can find it on the internet. This young Bradley Cooper who I got to know when he was on the show called Alias. Um, a show called The Practice. Um, I did like all these things. I was like reporter number two or whatever. Yeah. And But I realized I didn't love acting. I'm yeah. not an actor. I, I like to just, you know, I'm kind of like you. You're not, you probably not, wouldn't be a great actor no. because you're an immediate guy. You like to react. You like to go. And you yeah. like live TV. You like live events. Um, but I did that. And then I did a home and garden show called Designers Challenge. Okay. And oddly enough, it turned out to be a huge break because there was a show called Extreme Makeover Home Edition that yeah. really blew up on ABC. Everybody was clamoring for a home and garden show. We already had one. It was doing pretty well. But then it became the highest rated show on HDTV, crushing it. This is back when HDTV was, it was like a tipping point for HGTV. And so all of a sudden I'm smashing it on that. I have the T I'm still doing horse racing. And then I got a game show called mall masters at the mall of America. Wow. For game show network. And mall of America is in Minneapolis, Minnesota, the thought. biggest mall in America. That's where they do the family feud. Um, polling right I, maybe i, I think know. it is and it's just this big mall they have pike on a stick and yep. they have five victoria secrets and so we went and shot like 65 episodes there for this company called stone stanley which was famous because they had the show called the mole and so i did this show for stone stanley not successful i don't even know if all the elevator but i was i had three jobs at the time and i was really kind of nailing things it was again i was just like grinding i didn't know any better i was just grinding my ass off and just going and I, you don't stop to think what you're doing or how you're doing it. You're just doing it. Yeah. And that's how I've always been. I've just, I don't think about it. Like you just, it's, it's in you and I feel like I can't fail. So I just go. And so I was doing these three shows and there was, I got a call from my agent. It's like, you're on the list. There's always a list in Hollywood. Yeah. You're on the list for this show. It's a dating show. ABC's doing it. And about this time, the show came out a little bit prior called who wants to marry a millionaire yeah darva conga rick rockwell and it was a rating smash hit but really panned because there was no such thing as background checks back then rick rockwell turns out it wasn't quite a millionaire had some domestic violence issues eh, not so brilliant but there was no background checks so this guy that created the show mike fleiss was blackballed run out of town and all of a sudden there's they're telling me you're on the list for this show i'm like yeah whatever Six months later, update, update. By the way, you're still on the list for that show, and it's it's been cut in half. I'm like, ah, okay, whatever. Well, all of a sudden, I get a call like a year later. Remember that show I told you about? They're down to four people. And you haven't yet to do a chemistry I've read done or I've done nothing. A screen test. Zero. I haven't met anybody. Okay. I've just lived my life. <laughs> But somehow I made it to the final four. He's doing horse races. That right. <laughs> but little there, back, little did I know there were some things that happened along the way where they saw me inadvertently. And again, 
talk about just being a, a benevolent person. I did a, a screen test for these guys. They were trying to put a pilot together and they just needed a host who wouldn't be greedy or worry about the job. They just needed some good tape. Yeah. And these guys, Jack Stevens and Barry Posnick, who went on to do, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Mm-hmm. They were friends of mine. They said, dude, we need a host. We just come host this. So yeah, I'll do it. And then the show didn't go, but they were trying to sell it to telepictures. Um, the company that now owns our show, the bachelor. And they said in the room, I wasn't there. They go, we're not buying this show, but who's that guy? We love that guy. We have a show that's coming up. And luckily I was friends with these guys and my buddy, um, Jack and Barry, they go, well, you know, he's a guy from, he's from Texas, Oklahoma, whatever. He's married, got a kid. And they were like, Oh my God, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a guy next door and a really unknown guy. Nobody knows this guy. And cause I mean, I was completely unknown then. And so that helped propel me unbeknownst to me, this was happening. So again, just things that happen that throw you, you know, on the slide. And so I got down to the final four, went in and they go, okay, you're going to having an interview with this guy, Mike Fleiss going to be going to be a long interview. So really like get ready to settle in and tell your life story and go deep. Four minutes later, I'm out the door. Wow. It was the worst meeting of my life. Really? I go in, it's a job interview. I'm in a suit and tie, mm-hmm. my green polo cologne, my hair slicked over. I'm ready to go. He walks out in a cloud of smoke, black t-shirt, black board shorts, flip flops, and his sunglasses. I look at him like you're everything that's wrong in the world. Yeah. He looks at me like you're everything that's wrong in the world. Yeah. And it was a, it was like oil and water. I hated him. He hated me. And the meeting ended so quickly. And I walked out and I called my agent. I go, well, good news is I got to the top of the list of a network show. Mm-hmm. Didn't get it. And she called me later. She's like, yeah, you're right. They're, they're in negotiations with somebody else. Yeah. They didn't get it. And I was like, oh, well, whatever. And two weeks later, I got a call. They want to meet with you again. I said, I thought they were negotiating with this other guy. And they said they were. And I said, well, they just want to make fun of me again. Yeah. And, uh, but this time they said, no, they really want to meet with you. I said, screw it. I went in and I put on flannel shirt, blue jeans and my cowboy boots. Mm-hmm. And I was like, F it. I don't care. Yeah. And I'm Mike Fleiss walks out in his cloud of smoke and yeah. he goes, Harrison, he's I'm across the office. I go, what? He's like, you were effing horrible in our first meeting, but I hear you're a good guy. Let's do it again. Wow. And I was like, whatever, dude went in. So you, you hate him at this point. Hate him. Yeah. Don't care. Zero F's. Yeah. Don't care. Already lost the job once. Whatever. Yeah. And we end up talking for like, I don't know, two hours. And oddly enough, we are still polar opposites. I mean, he is to this day, to this day. Yeah. We get in screaming matches, nose to nose with each other on politics, on life, on everything, sports. We are so different, but we (laughs) oddly horse racing. Yeah. Horse racing. (laughs) But we oddly just love each other in a weird way. We kind of get each other because he's a lot like me and how he came up grinding worked his ass off, came up bootstraps, was a sports writer. And so we had this weird connection that we, once we talked, we actually found we had this weird connection of extremely loyal guys who worked their ass off. Yeah. And we always have that over each other. Um, and so he goes, okay, you're now my guy for this job on that meeting, on that meeting. Wow. But not yet because I need you to go meet some people. I'm like, and by the way, I'm on my way to TVG, the horse racing network. Yeah. And I have to work in two hours. And they're like, can you go to ABC? I'm like, you're damn right. I can go to ABC. Yeah. So I drive to ABC and I'm freaking out. I drive to the ABC building and I go up to the top and I meet with this woman, Andrea Wong, who's the head of, of, of ABC non-scripted. And I'm sitting in her office and she's doing a thousand things, kind of talking to me, but not really. I'm like a fly on the wall. And she wants to shoo me away. And when she's going and going and going, I'm like, uh, okay. So she stops all of a sudden. She's like, you know what? You seem great. Uh, I, but I need you to go meet someone else. I'm like, okay, I need you to meet John today. Okay. Where's John? It's the holiday. It's December. John's throwing a holiday party at his house. I said, okay, can you go by? I was like, sure. So I'm driving to his house in Brentwood now. <laughs> so now I go to eight from telepictures to ABC. Now I'm driving to this guy's Hanukkah party. And I, and by the way, if you don't live in Los Angeles, you don't understand how much of a pain yes, in the ass this is. A pain in the ass. And now I'm worried about being late for work. Yeah. Cause I'm like, shit, I can't lose my other job. So now I'm driving to this guy's house and, and I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm like, do I have a network job? Do I not have a, I don't know yeah. what's happening. And so I get to this guy's house 
and the caterers are there and all this. And I'm sitting there in the kitchen with a thousand people working and I'm like, all right. So John walks in and I'm actually putting beer in his fridge for him Mm -hmm. while he walks in and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I just seemed like you need a beer in the fridge and I was stocking (laughs) your beer fridge. And he's like, what? I'm like, man, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the hell's going on. What am I doing here? He's like, come into my office. So I step into his office and we're talking and he's like, I hear you're a good guy. And I was like, I don't know. Okay. And, uh, all of a sudden his son bursts through the door and his son bounces on the couch next to me. And he's like, he's like, I don't know, three or four. Right. And so I just grab the kid and I flip him over and body slam him. (laughs) And I start wrestling with him. Yeah. And I'm talking to him while I'm body, you know, I, I have a young kid at the time yeah. and I'm, and I've, I always love kids. And so I'm just beating this kid up and it's his kid <laughs> and the kid's laughing his ass off and I'm throwing the kid against the couch and we're talking and, and, uh, he gets up and he's like, I don't know who you are, man. He's like, yeah. whatever. He's like, you have the job. And uh, it's lo- later I become friends with John and he's like, as soon as you body slammed my kid, you had the job. And it was funny because I didn't even think about it. I was just like, he yeah. bounced. And so I just grabbed the kid. I mean, I didn't throw him against the wall, but it was it was funny. And so that's, I, I went and I sat on the set at the Horse Racing Network. And I was waiting for my phone to ring. And I stepped out during a commercial break. And my agent's like, you have the job. Wow. But I still don't know what that means. Because it's Christmas. Yeah. And they had already pulled the job from one guy. And I had heard this other crazy story from another friend of mine who lost a job. So I'm like, well, do I really have the job? And so I went home and I only, my wife knew and my parents, I didn't tell anybody that I had this network gig and we were shooting in January. This is January of 2002 when we premiered, we shot in January, we premiered that spring. And so I shot the show and nobody knew. I, so I still had the home and garden show, still had the horse racing network and I'm shooting the bachelor. And by the way, I'm making nothing to do the bachelor. Yeah. You know, because you think about what it is now, it was six one hour episodes then. And it was the first year we're doing it. And they just hired this chump who has no name and has never worked on network TV before. Cause you can imagine what they're paying me zero. And yeah. I was grateful as hell. So the show airs that spring and I'm like, okay, well apparently I have it cause I see myself now. And that's where it started. The first episode you watch of The Bachelor, did you have any idea the cult phenomenon that was going to be what it is now? Well, there is. You have to go back, though. I mean, the first night I shot, I'll never forget. Okay. I, had, I had an old, beat up Nissan Altima. Yeah. That is gold Nissan Altima that I drove to set. We drove in, we had driven it out from from Oklahoma. And. I think it's actually my wife's car yeah. at the time because my car was actually worse than that. And so I drove her <laughs> nice car. Like I'm going to, I used to drive my nice car to the set. Yeah. So I'll never forget. I pulled up that first night. We're flexing mansion. hard. We're with a yeah, weird, weird flex, but okay. <laughs> so I pull up in this beat up Nissan Altima and Mike Fleiss is standing there. We're at this back then. We're at this mansion in Malibu and I'll never forget. I get out of the car and he's like, what the hell? Yeah. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, I'm on time. He's like, no, you're early because you're always early. But what the hell? I said, what? He's like, my host can't drive a gold Nissan Altima from like 1982. I said, well, then pay me more, dude. Yeah. Um, Granted, now he's done better than a Nissan Altima for me. But that's, I mean, you have no, the point is that's the answer to your story. You have no idea. You have no idea when you start shooting this. When it aired, I honestly was hoping the show would last two episodes. I could meet these people from the network and hopefully it would lead to a real job. Yeah. That was my goal. And when the show aired, it was good, but it wasn't great. ABC was kind of in the dumps because these aging shows, NYPD Blue, According to Jim, um, what was the uh, um, John Ritter show, uh, uh, my, Eight Simple Rules, Dating My Teenage Daughter. John Ritter show was kind of at the tail end all these, but, and didn't, but they were all run by these great godfathers of TV, Dennis Franz, John Ritter. Um, even George Lopez was around all these people like in, in Belushi. I was learning from these guys. Um, and the show was good, but it wasn't a hit, Yeah, but it was good enough to come back. And something happened over the summer. That was this crazy phenomenon. The summer of 2002, when we came back for Aaron Berge, my life, I realized my life had changed. The show was the number one show on TV. It ended with 33 million viewers, season two. And that was the most 
it was the biggest show on TV by far. This is before this is after Survivor, but before Idol. And I didn't know how I was so young. It was like year one. I'm in the Super Bowl. So it didn't make sense to me. I didn't understand what was happening. I was still so green, but I could tell my life was different because the New York Times was talking about us. It wasn't like the tabloids. It was the New York Times. It was like People magazine. It was like the news stations were talking about us. And I'm like, okay, I don't think that's normal. Um, we were in Sports Illustrated, that kind of shit. We yeah. were like, okay, this is different. This is different. I don't know how yet, but it's different. Fast forwarding now, I mean, it's it's just a weird thing. Like Barstool Sports is talking about it and Nine Gag. And it's it's such a cultural phenomenon. What has The Bachelor done right that everyone else hasn't been able to figure out? I, I think there was something in the original formula, obviously, that is, I always say back in the day, it was a little bit like Seinfeld. It's a show about nothing. Yeah. You know, and you, you've been on the show. It's, it's a show that promises kind of real life things, obviously in an extraordinary way on steroids and all that, but it's just a show at the end. That's about something very simple. Yeah. Um, there's no catch to our show. And I always say, if you, if you try to emulate our show or copy it, you have to have a catch because it's different. So our show doesn't have a catch at the end. You're not getting a million dollars. It's not about that. You're not given a house. It's just, you're not even given money at all. It's just about, do you love this person? And there's that scary moment where I'm going to ask you to marry me or to be together or whatever. And it's about this one thing that we all can understand relationships, companionship, and it transfers around the world. It's the one language we all speak. And so it's brilliant in its simplicity. And again, we can get deep into the minutia of how it's produced and how genius some of that is, but the base of what it's about and how it's done is pretty genius because it's so freaking simple. Yeah. I'm going to do rapid fire questions with Chris Harrison with questions that Blue. I don't even need. I, I'm going to do them myself. Five. I'll just do like five. No, I'm just saying I'm answering the questions. Blue. Five. Yeah, five. Yep. That, those are them. Leo. Three times in college. You did, you got three Leos in college. <laughs> Jeez, that's amazing. Um, number one, favorite Bachelor ever. Um, Bachelor: Aaron Berge, Andrew Firestone, Bob Guinea. That that moment, my life changed. Aaron Berge changed my life. I'm not as good of friends. A Andrew Firestone's one of my best friends. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like you and I now. It's like I real call him. I go see him. I, I real truly love him. Um, and then Bob Guinea was just another one. But back then, my I was, we were same age. I was, you know, I was early 30s back then. Now I'm not. Um, and so back then, they, they, you know, we were really good friends. And and it, God, the show was so different. Life was different. And I, it's funny because when people ask me questions, I often think of my life less of ratings and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But so I would go back. I mean, yeah, I love Ben. I love Colton. I love some of these modern day guys. But that's where my life was changing. Favorite Bachelorette? Trista Wren. Um, and again, there's so many that I have adored because I really do like my modern day Bachelorettes. I mean, every I, I'm friends with, you know, Andy Dorfman and Caitlin and, you know, I saw Rachel the other night, people, Jojo. Oh my God. I saw Jojo, her and Jordan did something for us that day. I adore her. Um, and so, but Trista again, that was lightning in a bottle. And I, I call Trista the godmother of our franchise because that legitimized our franchise, yeah. that group of guys. And that proved this works. People could go deep into the rabbit hole, tongue in cheek, joke, laugh, make fun of us. But... This thing really works. Yeah. Because of her, we are legit. And that was what springboarded us onto everything else. Of the three franchises, which one are you most likely to watch actually on TV? Bachelor, Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise. Now, my guilty pleasure is Paradise. Thank you. It really is. Um, Bachelor will always be my baby. It's what changed my life. Yeah. It's, it's what it's what everything started with. Um, but paradise is something I'm really proud of because pad is what paradise started from bachelor pad. There was something inherently wrong. Again, there was a catch. It was about money. Bachelor paradise is about relationships, love and all that. And so my guilty pleasure is paradise. And I'm surprised it has grown to be the phenomenon it is, but it really is. Now I know that I make the best drinks in the world, but if you 
don't have me in your kitchen. What should everyone be drinking? In you house? first of all, there's two. I only have two bartenders in my life. Yeah, Isaac from the Love Boat. Yeah, who he shaped my childhood. Which, by the way, we were talking about this earlier today. He was so, at every bar. You you do know that like when Alon and I, so Alon Gale is one of the executive producers who's no longer with the show. When we started. When we started talking about me being the bartender. Cre- if he takes credit for Isaac, I will punch him in the He face. said he wanted my intro to be with a mustache and Isaac's shirt doing the thumbs okay, up. Okay, I was fine with I'm fine with that. But I I was the first one that said Yeah. Wells needs to be Isaac from the yeah. Love Boat. That's that is the premise of this. No matter you know, because for you kids out there, no matter what bar you went to, no matter what level, there was Isaac. Yeah. And he would give great advice. Yeah. So when when we pitched the wells idea of which i was a huge fan because i was a huge fan of yours thank you i said he's isaac he's everywhere he's everywhere you need him to be and he will dispense advice and and he will push the stories that i cannot push because there's things i can't do on the show that you do brilliantly and so you are a conduit of us and you're you stir the pot or you help or whatever but i can't be involved in that way i have to be above certain level of that thing um and so that was the brilliance of you is isaac of the love boat wells yeah yeah um but i digress the question on the table Mm -hmm. if you have one drink yes left in this world what is it it's my new drink tropical rosé by seagram's Mm -hmm. that has just hit stores now and it's hitting stores near you now it's shipping as we speak right now and it's this collaboration i did with seagram's i'm actually ridiculously proud of it because i worked for over a year with seagram's on this and went to the tasting room in Chicago, created the taste. It is truly magnificent. I, I got to say, it's awesome. I got to say, and I'm a very snooty person when it comes to stuff like this. Last night we were drinking. It's very, very good. Well, I'm snooty too, because I love wine. Yeah. And so I, when I went to the tasting room in Chicago, they said, look, we've kind of narrowed it down to these things we like. And I tasted them. I said, I hate to say this. I don't like what we're tasting. And yeah. so we went back to the, back to the drawing board and, it, it's it's passion fruit, dragon fruit, or pitaya, whatever you want to say, with a touch of rosé. Um, and, it, you know, it's kind of like these other things that are out, um, but only better. It's 100 calories, and you'll know it because my face is on the mm-hmm. package obnoxiously enough. Not on the can, though. I told him, not on the can. The really? can needs to be clean. I can't have my face on the can. <laughs> um, it's bad enough it's on the damn box. But I was you know, very instrumental in the look, the colors, the packaging, all of it, and really proud of it. And it's, it's massively being distributed now. So you're going to find it in Walmarts, Total Wines, HEBs, Kroger's, you name it, we'll be around the country. Seagram's Escapes Tropical Rose. A. Rosé. Chris Harrison, um, I just got to say like like a couple things just for me to you. Um, you've always been super normal and super cool to me. Um, and in the past couple of years, I don't even know if you like remember this moment, but the first year I bartended – we did a rap party and I was sitting down being like, I don't know what to do with my career, man. I need some help. I need some guidance. And you sat and you talked to me for like 30 minutes about like things that you think that I should do going forward. And it's like one of those moments where like, I hope that in a couple of years, someone's interviewing me and they're like, so how the fuck did you get here? Mm-hmm. And I get to say, well, Chris gave me some really cool advice and like I'll always hold that dear and I love you man I'm so like just in awe of like everything that you've done um like aside from the the bachelor stuff like everything you do you you show up and you kick ass and like the idea of this show is how did you get to mm-hmm. become that thing I'll tell you what Chris does that like he won't say himself because he's here and that would be like so self-aggrandizing what chris does when he shows up to set is he kicks ass and he hits his mark and he says his line and he nails it every time and it's like whatever that is in like your life that you do um if you do that you, you will be the biggest thing that you're trying to do and 
watching you do that has been like really, really eye-opening and wonderful and a learning experience for me. So I appreciate that. And I love you so much, man. Thank you for those kind words. Um, And, you know, hopefully my goal in life was to be the Bill Teagans for other people. Bill was my mentor. and, And those people that took time, and I said, I will always be that person. If I can be, I I just felt like I owed it to him, especially once he passed away in the plane crash. I'm like, if I could ever be that person for anybody, I'm going to go out of my way. Um, and the other thing, it was an old, it's a joke from, uh, Ken Fuchs, the director of our show. Mm -hmm. I was there one day. I'm always early. I'm habitually early. Um, and, and we were doing our thing and I was ready to go. And he's like, you know what, Harrison, like we never wait on you. And, and, And I said, you never will. And he goes, you know what? Half our job, is showing up on time. Yeah. And he was, you know, the point was to your point, professionalism. Yeah. There's things that you can control your time being professional, your effort, those things I can control. There's a lot of things out of my control, but I, the things I can control, I'm going to do it. I will be there. I'm going to be prepared. I'm be more prepared than anybody else. And I'm going to do my job and you're never going to wait on me. And I don't want to screw up production or cause delays or money or whatever like that's the least we can do in our job um but i would say thank you for having me on yeah i you're a dear friend of mine now i love you very much and to hear those words like it truly means a lot it gets me emotional as well and so thank you for for this i was frightened of this conversation yeah because of this i, I wasn't <laughs> you know you're never sure where it's going to go yeah um uh, but I, I i it was great i truly love it i love sitting down with you and i felt like for people listening, we actually had the conversation we would have had normally. Yeah. I didn't know if we would. Yeah. But we actually did. Well, we've had this conversation. I've, I know. I actually but I, wanted to know about your life. But I didn't know how past. personal we get or how yeah. real we would get. I'm glad we did. And I feel like, because I really haven't talked much about my life life. Like, yeah. you know, because, you know, I, I'm like, I don't know how much people really want to know the fine minutia of things. Because um, things that are impactful for you, you don't know if they're impactful for other people and where you touch people and where you, you can help. And so... Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed, it. I really enjoyed sitting down with you. Seagram's escapes tropical rose. <laughs> Everyone go buy it. Chris Harrison. Thank you so much for being on. The Love you, brother. Love you too, man. Subscribe to Wells cast on iHeartRadio, Apple podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. It's the internet. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.